Welcome back to another episode of the Real Life Theology Podcast hosted by Renew.org. My name is Chris. Great to be with you today again. We have another great episode for you from Chris Barris, who is a friend of the network. He's written for us. He's been involved with Renew for a few years now, and he's been talking about this thing called a disinformation campaign, and it comes from a sermon series that he did uh, about a year ago, and really good content describing what's happening in our world today. And he talks about in this episode things like, can you spot the lies in society that are prevailing that we may see every day, but we don't think they're lies, we don't think they're propaganda, that type of thing. Chris also talks about some of the lies of the heart and how Satan has used our societal lies to deceive our culture and how Satan has really infiltrated and used things that may seem innocent, like he talks about in this episode, the heart wants what the heart wants, and really twists those into something that's not godly and not how Jesus wants us to live. In this episode, he also talks about how Jesus wants to engage your heart from the contrast to the world and what's going on there and how Satan has infiltrated. He discusses how Jesus wants to come in and help you change your heart, lead you into a better way of living, a better way of thinking. And he ends this sermon with a couple practical ways you can be living this out and spending that time with God to make sure you're connected to the one who is full of truth. Let's go ahead and see what Chris has to say. Hopefully you can take away some really good practical application from this podcast episode. I know it was helpful for me to hear. And after this one, we have one more from Chris Bears in this disinformation campaign series. And then we're going to be moving on to an episode or more of Bobby Harrington, who is our founder and CEO of Renew. And he's going to give some really good input also into what's going on in today's culture. I have some really bad news. You and I are being lied to a lot in all sorts of places and culture. And we should have seen it coming, right? In 2016, the word of the year was, according to the Oxford Dictionary, who keep track of such things, the word of the year was um, post-truth. That should have been an indicator to us of something that was coming. Uh, words don't mean what they used to mean. We've changed the definition of things. The, the most basic things, I, if, if you're old enough to remember Bill Clinton saying, it all depends on what the definition of is is. And it's like, wow, we should have seen that coming. Like, we're taking the most basic, smallest of words, and we are changing the definition of them. And, and in doing that, we're lying to people. And there's a lot of lies coming at us um, from all aspects of relationships and culture and, and, and society and, and media, the, like Vin Diesel, they are coming at us fast and furious, okay? So we, we need to think about those and, and, and think about what is going on. So what I wanted to do was do a series uh, that, we're, that we started last week. I wanted to do this series to talk about the ways we are being lied to and, and where they're coming from because I'm going to expose that because I have, um, I have seen the lies. Now, sometimes uh, people lie about something that I know the truth about, like maybe I have insider information on a thing, and then I hear lies about it. I'm like, that's not true. Um, I've been, I have experienced people lying about me over the years. Uh, that, that's when, that, when it's personal like that, it hurts. Um, but even outside of just the personal stuff, I've just seen it in culture, and, and I'm just wondering not only why, why are people lying so much, but why are we so easily sucked in, and why are we believing it. Uh, it's, it's getting very weird out there. Somebody that I, I saw, uh, an attorney and uh, uh, author on, on Twitter, she says, Stacey Rudin, she says, uh, facts don't matter at all when people behave as if they don't matter at all. When everyone is participating in the lie, the liars win, right? So who cares about facts? If we all, if we all pretend that 
facts don't matter, and we all go along with the lies, uh, the liars are going to win. And it sure seems like the liars are winning in culture. So I want to do this series and, and, and talk about the, uh, an organized disinformation campaign. And I believe the lies that we are hearing now and, and noticing in culture actually have very deep roots that go back since the beginning of man, basically, and before. There's an organized disinformation campaign coming from Satan. This is not just the way I feel about this. This is the way Jesus felt about it. Jesus taught when he walked on earth thousands of years ago. Jesus taught that Satan is real. And he referred to, and we looked at this text last week, he referred to Satan as the father of lies. And that when Satan lies, he speaks his native tongue. So there is a, a prime or an original liar, and that is Satan. And, and his, his purpose is to deceive us and ultimately destroy us. He wants to turn us away from God, from each other, have us at each other's throats. He's trying to mess things up, and he does that primarily by, by telling us lies. Now, um, not all lies that we hear land on us. Sometimes people can lie to us about things, and we just don't care. So if I told you Elvis is alive and he lives in Mexico right now, it would be a lie, and it also, like, it wouldn't land on your heart. You wouldn't care, right? I doubt anyone's that crazy about Elvis that they're like, wait, I have to go find this out if this is true. It just doesn't resonate for you. But if I can lie to you, about something near and dear to your heart, if I can lie to you about your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your spouse or your career, or about the purpose of your life or about your children, if I can tell you lies about those things, that's gonna move you, right? That's gonna land in your heart. And so what Satan tries to do is not just tell random lies, but he tries to orchestrate things so that we believe lies about the things that really resonate and that matter, the things that cut deep into our, our hearts. Um, now, when we talk about the heart, and that those things deep inside of us. There's, a, there's words for this in the scripture. In the Old Testament, the word for heart was this word lev, and it, and it basically meant that our heart, it was, called, it was the authority within. So we tend to think of when we talk in our culture about our heart, we, we make it synonymous with emotions. Our heart is what you feel, it's your feelings, right? Uh, but in the Old Testament, the way they talked about it was the heart is this authority within. In other words, the heart is this thing that drives you, that, that your deepest wants and desires are, uh, are, are, are the heart. So it's not just emotions and it's not just thinking, it's what you really want. Those things are kind of synonymous with the heart. Now we can have deep desires and, and motives for things. We can have some that are very good, right? We can have, uh, we can desire to do good. We can desire to do what is right. When we give our lives to Christ, and we are baptized into him, he changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And what the scripture teaches is that the Holy Spirit works on us at that level of desire and reshapes and reforms those desires so that we desire good things and we are able to do good things with, with God's power. But there's also a dark side of our desires, right? There's this, the, that we want bad things, that we want to do things that will hurt us in some way or hurt others. And there's a word for that in the New Testament, and it's a Greek word. I want to put it up on the screen. Uh, it's pronounced sarx, the Greek word sarx, and it is a word uh, that means flesh. Uh, it's also sometimes translated in the New Testament as our sinful nature. It is that dark side of us that desires to do wrong. Now, the idea of the sinful nature, the flesh, or this dark side, this shows up all over culture in, in all sorts of ways. If you go look at biology textbooks, it, it would refer to that as something like 
our animal instincts, right? This primal desires that we have to whatever, eat or procreate or whatever it is. We have this, these desires in us. There's a biological answer for this, like why we try to seek self-gratification. Oh, it's, our, it's this desire in us. Um, but all sorts of other people in all sorts of other fields have talked about this this dualistic side to us that we desire good and evil, and there's this dark side to us. The Buddha said, in days gone by, this mind of mine used to stray to whatever selfish desire or lust or pleasure would lead it. He's talking about what we would call the flesh, these desires that we have that that can go very dark. Plato, um, in the ancient world, Plato said that, uh, basically described people as, within, within them, they have two horses that are tied together. One horse desires honesty and, and, and virtue and, and goodness. And the other horse, he says, um, chases, how did, how did he put it? He said, uh, it, it chases wild boasts and indecency. There's two horses that are within us. The ancient rabbis used to say that people had two souls within them. They had a divine soul, and then they had this other sort of animalistic or animal kind of soul. Um, it's, it's that same idea. It's Thoreau who wrote you probably remember Thoreau wrote Walden. This is what he said. We are conscious of an animal in us. It is reptile and sensual and perhaps cannot be whole explained. Um, this, there's this thing in us, these desires, what the scripture calls the flesh. And you just hear it over and over. You can listen to, although he's very controversial right now, but there was an interview a while back with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. And at some point during the interview, they started talking and they said, humans are basically just chimps and we just do whatever comes to our chimp brains. You know, it's, it's that same idea. There is this animalistic, base, um, sort of depraved desire, flesh, what the New Testament calls flesh side to us. I, I want to show it to you where it shows up in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. And in the second chapter, listen to how he describes the condition of humanity. And I think this kind of gets at the whole disinformation campaign in, in a, just a little couple verses. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our sarks, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's talking about... Um, this system that happens in the world, and that at one point, all of us were, were doing this. We're following the prince of the power of the air. What is the prince of the power of the air? This is not like the last airbender. This is, um, he's talking about Satan here, his, his ruler over the world, or one who, who influences, who has influence over the world. Um, and, and he says, uh, he's deceiving our flesh. So he's telling lies that resonate with our flesh, with our sinful desire, um, that that's with inside of us. And so if, if I'm going to put the whole system together, the way it works is Satan tells lies. Those lies uh, connect to our flesh or they resonate with us uh, in, in some way. They resonate with these passions, desires that we have in us. And then eventually what happens, which we'll get to later, eventually what happens is that create, we, we end up creating a, a whole system, which the scripture calls the world. We create a system uh, to feed those desires and to live according to those lies. So that's the process. Satan lies, connects with our flesh, and then we create corrupt and broken systems. Let me give you an example of that real practical in the modern day. If we take something like sex, and since it's Valentine's Day and heart and passion and love and all these things, 
great time to talk about it. Let's talk about it. When you take something like sex, the intent of it is to bond people together at a very deep soul level of a giving and receiving of love in a very passionate way between two people within the covenant and context of being married with the commitment and the shelter and the safety around marriage. That's the idea for sex is to bond people. Satan comes along with the lie and says, hey, um, you don't have to do this within marriage. This would be great for any consenting adults. Just go for it. Enjoy yourself because you, you, you will like it and this is a great thing. That lie lands on us because it connects to our flesh. We go, oh, I do kind of like pleasure, and this is a pleasurable thing, and there's a dopamine hit, and there's all these things. Therefore, that lands. I kind of want to believe that's true. And then what humanity has done is we create systems around that. We create systems for exploitation of that. We create systems that say, this is pleasurable. I should have it outside the context of marriage. And I want to create all sorts of systems to provide that for as many people as possible. And that is how we get to the world that we are in, uh, in today. And so let me talk to you about a lie that, uh, around this idea of the heart and intimacy, uh, a lie that we hear. Um, I actually heard it last week. Uh, strangely, it was weird that I was writing this. and I was like, oh, there it is again showing up. Um, and, and, and this is a, a statement you might hear in culture That'll pop up every now and then, um, but it is a lie from Satan, and, it, it, and, it's, and it's aimed at our heart, and it says this, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants, right? Now, when we say that, we are trying to give explanation or justification for something that we did or, or something that's going on, and, and we don't have a good reason for it. We can't quite explain it, so we just say the heart what, wants what it wants. If you trace back to where this phrase came from, there's good evidence that it actually came um, from Woody Allen. So Woody Allen is the filmmaker, writer, and if you remember this, if you were around for this, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, Woody Allen uh, was dating this model actress, Mia Farrow, and they had a relationship, and uh, Mia Farrow, in her previous relationship, had adopted two kids from Vietnam, and she, he, she had adopted a seven-year-old girl from South Korea named Soon Yi. Uh, she got together with uh, Woody Allen. The, he and Mia, Mia got together. They were sort of this Hollywood couple out and about and doing their thing. They eventually had biological children of their own. They adopted more children. And it was this big kind of blended family of Woody and Mia. Um, uh, but eventually their relationship started to deteriorate and they weren't getting along. And it, and it, and it sort of ended when Mia found a picture of Sunyi, her, her adopted daughter, um, in the nude on Woody Allen's mantle. And it was discovered at that point that he had been having a sexual relationship with Soon Yi. Um, and at that point, Woody Allen was 56 and she was 21. So even if you are the most sort of um, libertarian or like, you know, let people do whatever they want kind of thing and, you know, kind of the love the New York Times polyamory articles and you're kind of doing the whole thing, even if you're that, this is a little out of bounds. This is an adopted stepdad who's way older than this adopted stepdaughter, you know, situate, like, this is, this is pretty wild. Um, and so Woody Allen was, was confronted about her. He did a, an interview with Time Magazine about it, and, and Walter Isaacson, the interviewer, um, asked him, what, what do you think, like, what do you think about this? And he was looking for Woody to give some sort of remorse or, like, some sort of moral, you know, okay, maybe I should have done, shouldn't have done that, that kind of thing. And he said, you know, why did you do this? And Woody's response was, the heart wants what it wants. So when we say that, that's the kind of 
uh, this kind of lineage of that statement. This is where this comes from. And, and it still shows up in culture. I just saw uh, that musical, Come From Away. Maybe you've seen it. It's on Apple TV Plus, and it's, it was just here in Richmond. And that line comes right out in the middle of the play. I was like, the heart wants what it wants. I was like, oh, there it is again. We are saying Woody Allen's famous line to justify, uh, to justify what, what he had, had done. Um, and so I want to analyze that a little bit. The heart wants what it wants. Uh, is that true? Well, yeah, sort of. Like, like a good lie, it's truish. Like the heart does want it wants, right? And, and we, know, we know that's true. Um, we've all done stupid things in our lives. And, and the chances are, if you've done something really stupid, you did it because your heart was, was involved, right? You were, you were following your heart. And, and so um, that, that statement seems to be true. Uh, the heart wants what it wants, and we, we kind of go with that. But how do we evaluate that idea? Well, one way to evaluate the heart wants what it wants is to evaluate it in the sort of American, modern, secular, psychological approach and just say, yeah, that's true, and we should follow our hearts um, because uh, we should listen to our hearts because our heart will go on. I mean, we have songs for days about the heart and all the things that we should be doing with the heart. So that's kind of one approach that's like, well, yeah, I mean, you should follow that and, and, and kind of go with it. And you hear that from children's songs all the way up through adulthood. That's one approach is to say the heart wants what it wants, so go with it. An opposite approach might be a, a, a Buddhist approach. A, a Buddhist approach would say that most of your suffering and pain and struggle in the world is because you want things. So, so because the heart desires, that is the thing. Your heart's desire is the thing that will cause you suffering. So if you want to be free of suffering, you need to rid yourself of all desire or, deny, or, or deny the desire. Um, and that's actually an interesting idea. Um, on some level, it's kind of appealing to me. If you came to me and said, I'm really frustrated because this thing happened and I didn't want that to happen, I would want to follow up and say, let's talk about why you wanted that to happen. Not just the, the thing itself, but like, let's talk about your desires. Let's engage that and, and talk about it. So I actually think that's pretty interesting and, and appealing, this idea that denial of desire and um, denial of what our heart wants um, would, would be a thing to uh, ascribe to or aspire to. Except that, that's not how Jesus taught about the heart. And, that's, and, and so I want to look at what, what he says. Um, when Jesus walks the earth, he never goes up to people and says, you know the problem that you guys are struggling? You know how you don't have any food, and you know how that people are sick that you love, and you know you got all these things going on? Your problem is you just desire too much. Your problem is just with your heart that you, that you want things. And if only you just didn't want things, if you didn't want food, if you didn't want relationships, you would be so much better off. Jesus never does that. He doesn't say you should follow your heart. He doesn't say you should ignore your heart. He actually teaches us to engage our hearts, and he goes to work engaging the hearts of people around him and reshaping those hearts. You see, Jesus was Jewish, so he had a background that was rich in the Old Testament teaching of the, of the Old Testament uh, writers and the, the, the prophets and all the people who had come before. And he knows that Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah chapter 17 in the Old Testament, he said it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's interesting, right? Woody Allen's all, the heart wants what it wants. And Jeremiah would be like, yeah, but your heart sucks. Let's just be honest. Sure, it wants what it wants. Do you want to follow that sick fool? 
It is, it is deceitful. It is lying to you. That's what the heart does, is what the Scripture tells us. And, and if you follow it, you will, it will ruin you. You know this. Go back to the top ten dumbest decisions you've ever made in your life. Right? Your greatest hits of stupidity. We all have it. I'm not judging you. You, you figure it out. Go think about it. I did this. That was a bad idea. I went there. That was a bad idea. Dated her. That was a terrible idea. Dated him. He was awful. I, I got involved in this situation. That was bad. I took that job. That was bad. I moved to that state. Like, go back to all of them. What is the common denominator? You were doing what you wanted to do, right? Your heart was in it in some way. And some of them are decisions that were like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I really want to. And that's what you did. You've done that. I've done that. No judgment. I'm not saying you're terrible or whatever. Like, we've all done this. There's a good chance that if you go back and look that when you drove over a cliff, it was your heart that was driving the bus that took you over, right? The, the heart was in the driver's seat. We know how this works. So when Satan comes along and says, the heart wants what it wants, it's trying to justify bad behavior. That's how that phrase is used. Oh, you did something stupid. Well... It's okay because the heart wants what it wants. What if we take a different approach for that? What if we say, okay, you have deep desires. Yeah, it's true. The heart does want what it wants. Let's, let's engage that. Let's not, let's not deny it's true. Let's not use it to justify behavior, but let's actually engage the thing. Let's, let's kind of use its strength against it. So if you've ever done or, or, or know of like judo, the idea, I guess, in, in judo as, as a form of combat is that you don't resist the punch, you go with the punch, in a sense. So if, uh, some forms of combat would be, if I'm going to punch someone, they're going to block it, right? And Judo says, if you're going to punch someone, I'm going to take your hand and pull you so you go even farther and fall, right? It's, I'm going to use your weight against you. So what would be a way that we could use the heart wants what it wants, use the desires that are there in our heart? Um, how could we use those desires against the of those desires in a sense, um, because I, I want to pay close attention to the heart and, and, and let God work on it over time and change it. So here, I, I believe that, um, and the scripture says this, I, I think that, that the heart can change, that we can change uh, over time. And, and you've seen that. There are things, and we actually use that phrase, I've had a change of heart, right? Kind of a change of mind, but it's deeper than that. We desire something different. You Maybe you used to hate exercise, and now you like exercise. Maybe you hated sports, and now you like sports. Maybe you hated a, a genre of music, but now you actually kind of like that music. Maybe you hated a particular career thing, but now you're kind of into that. Like, we have seen that and experienced that in our lives. Um, we've had a change of heart. So how does that work? How, can, how do we actually do that? How do we have a change of heart? Um, let me give you three things, and then we're done. Number one, you have to examine your heart. If you're going to deal with it and, and deal with your, ourselves and have God deal with us on this deep level, we have to go there. You have to really examine your heart and look closely at your desires and your motives. We cannot skim along the surface and just act and react and just do things. We have to get into, why did you want that? Why, why did you desire that? What's really going on there? Think about a mirror. Um, when we look at a mirror, and you know, you've probably looked at one today already, and you have one in your home for this reason, we look at mirrors to see how things are. 
A mirror will not tell you anything about how you should be. It will tell you really just, it just reflects reality of in the moment. And a mirror does not judge. So if you look at the mirror and your hair is out of place, the mirror is not going to tell you that. It's not going to say like, you look terrible. Now you may interpret your, your, the story you might tell about what you see in the mirror is, I look terrible. Or you might say like, that isn't where it should be. I need to fix my hair. But the mirror doesn't actually tell you that. It just reflects what is without judgment. And in a similar way, we have to look at our hearts and, and, and figure out how, to, how can we reflect what is there. And that's tough because a lot of the stuff, when we look inward at our hearts, um, it's hard to be non-judgmental. We look inside and we see things we don't like and we just go, oh man, I suck and I wish I wasn't like that and I wish this hadn't been like that. Or, or we see things we like and we're like, I'm amazing and I can't, oh, it's so great that it, like, we're very judgmental when we look inward. So what would it look like to regularly and intentionally put a heart up to, uh, put a mirror up to our hearts? How would we do that? Well, I think the best way that we can um, see our hearts and, and sort of explore what's going on there so that they can change um, is to ask ourselves questions. This is what Jesus did. This is why when Jesus was um, so often asked a question, he responded with a question. Not because he's doing the, the, the teacher thing of like, hey, what's the answer to number four? And the teacher's like, well, what do you think is the answer to number four? And he's like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And like, he's not doing that thing. The reason Jesus asks questions is he wants to engage the heart, and this is how you do it. You have to go into your own motives because what people want to do is just give me the answer. If it's just on the test, tell me what the thing is. I'll check the box, and then I'm done. And you will continue. When we do that, you'll continue to skate across the surface of your motives. You'll just be like, oh, I kind of, I'm just doing the thing. I'm just kind of going through life and kind of riding this out. And you won't address what's really going on underneath. So to do that, you have to ask questions. Either get a friend who will ask them of you, but I would actually suggest, and that's good, but I would actually suggest you ask these questions of yourself regularly. Now, there's a bunch. Google heart questions Christians can ask themselves or something like that, and you will find different people's articles and things about this. But let me just give you three. Some of these I've used and, 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 I, and I find to be pretty useful. Number one, where was I thrown yesterday? What I mean by this is uh, all of us can be thrown where we are bobbing along, doing our thing, kind of doing the thing of the day, and something grabs you and like floods the engine with emotions or you just like, whoa, okay, that was a big deal. And what, I'm, I, I, I can't let this go. I'm bothered by this. This is challenging to me in a good or a bad way. Sometimes there's things we can't let go. They're just so good or whatever. Where was I thrown yesterday to sit down sometime before you start your day tomorrow, sit down in the morning and go, okay, let me think about Sunday. Where was I thrown? Where was that moment? Because the moment where you were thrown is, is, a, is a doorway into your heart. When you're thrown, it's something in your heart going, hey, this really matters. This is a big deal. Notice this. And so you won't notice that unless you sit down and force yourself to do it and go, okay, where was I thrown? I, I, it's what? It's, it's, it's 10-something in the morning. I already have been thrown today. I already have something I can talk about and write about tomorrow. I've, I've already got things like, okay, that, that really grabbed me. What's going on? Where was I thrown? That is a heart-level question to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Second question you can ask yourself, what was I afraid of? 
We live in a culture of fear, a culture that markets fear to us, that stokes fear, that drives social media engagement by outrage and fear. We live in that. And so it is good for us to notice, hey, I was afraid of something yesterday. What's going on there? There's something deeper happening when I'm afraid of something. Um, Because when we're afraid, that will very much drive our behavior. So we can analyze, you, you can analyze people and ourselves, we can analyze ourselves at the level of behavior, oh, I did this stupid thing, or I, I should have done this when I did this instead. But if you want to dig down a layer deep, why did you do that? Probably you were afraid of something, and you were acting out of fear. And what does that look like? And notice it, because it shows up a lot. Third question that you could ask yourself, what do I really want? Really is an important word there. If you say, what do I want? You'll just say like, oh, I want a better car and I want, a, 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 I want this new job and I want to finish grad school and those sorts of things. Yeah, I get that. When you say, what do I really want? Then it becomes, well, why do you want that car? What is grad school going to get you? Who do you think you are becoming and why? You want to be that person. What's going on here? Get into the, the, the depths of it. Get into your deepest Desires, these are, these are heart questions. Because unless we address our deepest desires, we won't change. This is why in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Israelites, are, are they, they will fast and they will pray and they will sing worship songs to God and yet they, they are still distant from God. This is why God says, uh, he says, my people honor me with their lips and with their mouth they praise me, but their hearts are far from me. This is what's going on. We are going through the motions, singing the song, we're praying the prayers, we're saying things, we're saying I love you, but our hearts are disengaged. And the reason they're disengaged is we just don't know how to engage them very well. We want to want to love God, we just don't know how. So you have to get into these these questions. What do I really want? And we ask that question, it kind of cuts through some of our cheap and shallow answers. And maybe when you think about what do I really want, if you're to ask yourself that question, maybe it's going to kick up an answer you don't like. Like, kicks up an answer and you go like, it's weird to say that out loud, or I'm kind of ashamed of that. And this is where the judgment comes in. Oh, I, I, I really want this, and I don't like that I want this. Or, I really want this, and yeah, that would be awesome. Like, Remember, it's a mirror. The questions are a mirror. Not to tell you you're a terrible person or whatever for wanting these things. It's to look at what is really going on in here. So you can start going to work on it. But you're not going to work alone. The, the, second, the second thing, but after examining your heart, number two is this. You ask the Lord to change your heart. This is what David writes about in Psalm 139 when he says, when he says this. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David doesn't say, I'll do this myself. I'm just going to ask myself questions and I'm just going to dig into a little bit of my own motives and just kind of know myself. No, he also knows that the heart is deceitful and cannot be trusted and it is sick. And he says, God, I need your help. I need you to Look me over from head to toe and, and look me over my innermost parts. And, and I need you to see the way I'm, I'm feeling and desiring and thinking. And I need you to go to work on those things. Ask the Lord to, to do 
the heart work, ask the Lord to root out the wicked ways that are inside you. The stuff that's like, hey, this is sinful and broken and wrong. Um, and, and ask Him to do the heart work on you. Imagine for a second if you prayed like that. If you, if you regularly said to God, God, will you please work on my heart and will you change me? Like, do that once and it's not going to make much of a difference. But what if it was a regular part of your prayers and your life that you just would ask throughout the day, whatever, you would ask God, God, work on me and change me. What would change if, if, if you were regularly doing that? Actually, let's take it off of you for a second. What if your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or best friend or your boss or your child, what if any of those people in your life were regularly saying, God, search me, know my ways, know my heart, my thoughts, and change me? Do you think that would have a profound impact on them? And then do you think it would have a profound impact on you? I want to be married to someone who asks that question of God regularly. And I bet she wants to be married to someone who asks that question too. God, um, will you, can you change me? Will you search me? Will you, will you work me over? This is a good thing over time that we do it. So, and I understand it's not easy. And sometimes we ask the Lord to change us and we get so frustrated by how long it takes. And we feel very stuck. We feel like we're in a rut. I understand that, but we, can, we have to stay with it. We have to ask him over and over and, and, and watch the, the heart transformation, which is, a, is really usually a, a pretty slow process. And then we're, we're supposed to do our part here as well. Examine your heart, ask the Lord to change your heart, and then finally, this, marinate your heart in the truth. Marinate your heart in the truth. I, I chose my words carefully here because... Um, I think marinate's an interesting word. So I do a lot of cooking in our house, and I've tried to learn recipes over the years that that like. And one thing you find out is that when you marinate chicken or steak, um, it it eventually sort of takes on the flavor of the things you marinate in. And it's, this is especially true if you marinate it for you know 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever. The the meat takes on the flavor of that marinade. So it's important that you get the marinade right because the whole meal or, or a large part of that meal is going to taste like that. And I think that's a great idea, the constant exposure and sort of being drenched in the thing um, eventually seeps into the thing and, and, and totally, afflict, um, totally affects the way, it, the way it tastes and your experience of it. And while that's true of you know, food, I, I think it's true of our hearts and our minds too. What we marinate our hearts and minds in will eventually affect our hearts and minds and our desires. If you marinate your heart and mind in porn and Netflix, it will change the, your desires over time. It changes your desires to, to drive towards those things, and you will want them, and you will crave them, and you will long for them. Um, that, that changes you. But if you will marinate your heart and mind in good things, if you will, I mean, it simply, if you were to look at brain function, pornography changes the neural pathways in the brain. Like it it literally changes your brain chemistry. You know what also changes your brain chemistry? Prayer. It, has, it, it can do that as well. It can change thing and activate things in your brain in a different way. So what would it look like to marinate your brain and your heart um, in good things, in, in prayer, in, in, in Scripture, in reading the truth, in being in community with other believers and other people who are going to walk with you? It's a powerful thing, and over time, it won't just change your thinking. It will actually change 
your heart. Last week I mentioned that Jesus said he would set us free and that he offers freedom if we will cling to him. And I really believe that. And I think it's not just freedom for your mind, it's also freedom for your heart. So this is the way, the, this is the way to walk in the midst of the disinformation campaign around us. The lies will continue to come, and you will hear. I, I had someone last week um, send me a screenshot of the, uh, the lie we talked about last week. They saw it in a different context show up in, in culture and something else. And you'll probably hear some version of the heart wants what it wants. Is go, you know, listen closely to the lyrics of maybe, uh, you know, Frozen or something like, it's just, it's all out there. Um, listen for it and, 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 and be aware. And, and, and rather than just embrace it, um, engage it and go, okay, what, is, what, do I, what do I really want in my heart? And then ask the Lord to change your heart and then marinate your heart in good things. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Life Theology Podcast. Today, we are passionate about helping leaders understand and establish a firm biblical foundation of theology that is centered around Jesus-style disciple-making. Just a little bit about who we are if you're unfamiliar with Renew.org. We're a voluntary association that comes together to champion Jesus' teaching and mission. We have six main channels in which we help leaders. The first one is daily communications through our website and articles. We have a lot of great authors and people who write for us consistently to give you all kinds of excellent resources to help you in your ministry. The second one is publishing books. We publish a lot of new books around a lot of different theological topics to help leaders around the world. The third is learning communities for senior pastors. If you're a senior pastor and you want to grow deeper and have accountability and help in your ministry, this is a great thing to check out and look into. The fourth is national and regional gatherings. We have a national gathering every year. This past year we had it in Indianapolis, and that's a huge part of what we do. And we have regionals all around the country to help champion and empower leaders to go make disciples and to have a firm theological foundation for their church and their ministry. The fifth is mentoring for church leaders and elders. We're passionate about helping churches move forward, again, with great theology, great understanding of the Bible, great understanding of what church leadership looks like and how God can be honored in that. Our last area of emphasis is Renew Church Planting. This is a new branch of Renew.org that we are really excited about rolling out, and it involves helping church leaders who are looking to plant and maybe first-time ministers or pastors get them started planting churches that are biblically based, have great theology, and are focused on disciple-making. Thanks again for joining us and listening in today. Looking forward to being with you next week.